and welcome to this week's Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fospero. Did you know an eye-watering two million plastic bags are used every minute around the world? A truckload of plastic is dumped into our ocean every 60 seconds. On average, we eat 70,000 microplastics a year, and it's estimated there could be more plastic than fish in our ocean by 2050. Just a few shocking facts from our throwaway, unsustainable culture. A few weeks ago, I met the founders of Waterhall, who are making fantastic sunglasses and eyewear from abandoned fishing nets and ghost gear. And today, I'm in Brighton to find out how another innovative young design company is creating stylish products using plastic bags, old batteries and other waste materials. Gomi was co-founded by designer Tom Meads in 2018 after he graduated. His studio produces bespoke, colourful, marbled Bluetooth speakers made from what many would see as non-recyclable plastic and Second Life lithium batteries. And they've just launched a range of portable phone chargers designed to last for life. Tom, I've been admiring your work on socials for quite a while now, and I'm dying to hear the story behind it. Where did the idea from Gomi come from? Yeah, thanks for having me, Helen. Gomi actually means trash in Japanese. Does it? And yeah, throughout my uni education, I was really inspired by minimal Japanese design. But what I kind of found was that all of these really beautiful design products were actually only made from like really premium materials that were all mined, but there wasn't really a nice narrative or story around them that they weren't from like a waste source or anything like that. And obviously living in Brighton, as a student especially, there's a lot of waste around here. It's a tourist city, especially after things like Pride. The beach is just like littered with plastics. And I guess we were just really inspired by how we can use those materials instead of these really like high-end premium materials, but to make really desirable products and specifically started testing with plastic bags and other types of plastics and actually found that plastic bags today are still deemed non-recyclable by the council and we just found that shocking so just started testing and testing and ended up creating this marble material from plastic bags and I love that contrast between it being deemed like non-recyclable because it's not desirable it's not worth any money yet we're making like really desirable design objects from it. You're making really desirable objects. You've brought two of your Bluetooth speakers to show me. One made out of Barbie dolls, which is uh, so current at the moment with the film, and the other one in a beautiful marbling effect. It reminds me of snowy colours, whites and greys and blues, and just really, really beautiful. But when you were looking at the high-end Japanese products, was there a bad narrative behind it? Were they made out of things that were being mined and weren't very sustainable? Yeah, if you look at consumer tech products today, all consumer tech is essentially made out of materials that are not recycled. So it's all just mined out of the ground. It's oil, it's gas, it's all these raw materials. And I feel like our generation that's just kind of gone through education at school, watching these David Attenborough series and constantly being bombarded with the fact that if we don't do something about it, the world's going to end one day. I feel like going into design through that fear that's been driven into all of us, you're kind of driven to want to solve the problem in whatever you do. And it just so happened that I've gone through this route and I've become a designer and I've now still got that fear within me, climate anxiety, and I'm trying to do something about it within my work. And I think not only is using a waste material kind of good for the planet, but it also makes it more interesting. It makes the product more interesting. It has a bit more of a story. The fact that it's made from a waste that's deemed non-recyclable. Or you can kind of imagine what that was before when you say a plastic bag, you can imagine it in the supermarket, this flimsy piece of plastic, but then we've kind of used that it's almost as if it was an oil paint and made these Jackson Pollock inspired marbling patterns, but just with waste. 
And did these ideas come to you when you were still a student at university? When you were studying, did these ideas start to evolve that, hang on a second, I could make this, but how about making it out of something that somebody would deem waste? Yeah, 100%. I mean, part of it was probably because we couldn't afford like, really <laughs> nice materials to work with. So you just kind of work with whatever was around you, living in Brighton. There is a lot of waste anyway. So yeah, just started testing with the material, started melting it down, stretching it, twisting it. And I went to the University of Brighton. I did 3D design and craft and the course there is incredible. And they kind of like push you to just be experimental and just like play with new materials, keep playing, keep pushing it. And then from that kind of play, I then tried to work this material into a product, which uh, is how I got here really. And then you co-founded the studio. So what was that light bulb moment that made you say, right, come on, this is what I'm actually gonna do? Yeah, it was funny actually. So with my final piece, I made a really rough prototype essentially. We couldn't afford molds or anything. So I just cut it out of 2D shapes and put it all together and then showed it at a few exhibitions. New designers, then I did London Craft Week and then went on to like Dutch Design Week and I started getting seen showing this prototype. And was that a prototype and, speaker? Yeah, it was a prototype speaker, but it was like, it was pretty terrible to be honest. It was just like a concept <laughs> of like something that could work. And then yeah, maybe like a few months later, I moved to Amsterdam and I was kind of like doing an internship out there. And then I got a message on Instagram from Powan, who's one of our co-founders. And he messaged me and said, hey, I've seen your speaker, like can I buy one? And I was like, oh no, I'm sorry, it's just the prototype. Like it just, yeah, it's kind of a concept to hopefully push brands to do more with waste materials and prove like the beauty of waste. And he was like, well, what about if we kind of apply for some funding? I think like he had a business background in sustainable businesses. He was like, what about if we apply for some funding? I think we could actually make it like a real product. It was all on Instagram, I'd never met him. And I just sort of said, yeah, okay. Like didn't think anything of it. And then like two months later, he was like, you need to come back to London because we've got to the final of this funding and this competition. Um, so yeah, I came back and then we won some funding and then it all kind of kicked off from there. So I got a job in Brighton to kind of fund me doing this. So I started like developing a product in the mornings, the lunchtimes and evenings, weekends for like two years until it got to a point where it was big enough that then we could actually sell products and pay ourselves. So, and I needed to go full time because it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't sustainable when we doing that. That's such a, a, an extraordinary story. I'm sitting here with the benefit of looking at two really, really beautiful high-class speakers and we've also just played some music through them so I know that they sound every bit as good as they look. Will you, for our audience and our, our listeners, describe the speakers and what they're made of and how you make them? Essentially, if you saw them in a home or in a store, they would just look like they were made of kind of marble material or maybe you might think they were painted in kind of a Jackson Pollocky print, but they're all made from plastic bags. Bags. So we melt the plastic bags in the oven and then we essentially hand twist everyone. So we take the plastic, we layer it, we stretch it, we twist it, we cut into it to create these really abstract patterns. And the whole point behind it really is just to try and add value to a material that doesn't have value essentially. So just keep trying to work it as if it was a paint and then create this kind of finished painting and then we press it in between two hot molds. And then once it's been pressed, we then cool it down really quickly inside the mold and then we release it and then we've got a kind of a cooled shape that looks like an artwork um, but yeah all made from waste. And you have colourful themes. What it reminds me of being born in Cleethorpes is <laughs> Cleethorpes rock and seeing, you know, the rock that you eat, the yeah, rock yeah. that you get at the seaside. Because watching the process online, 
your plastic bags, it's all in each set of speakers is all in a bit of a colourway, isn't it? So you're using the same perhaps colourway to make a certain number of speakers. But when you chop into the plastic, I suppose everyone's unique because you've got a different marbling effect. But how do you come up with the themes? So with the Collection 1, which was our kind of launch in March when we first released this product, we released three colourways and each one was kind of inspired by an artwork that we liked. So the black one was inspired by this print of a panther. Uh, so it's all black, it's got like neon colours running through it. And it was a local artist called Ilwaki who really liked his work. And I was actually buying a print and I saw it and I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then that kind of inspired the colours to pick that colourway. So each one has kind of got its own story. But alongside the original collection, like every month, we try and do a drop and that drop will have a different theme. So when the Barbie movie got released this year, we released a whole range of Barbie inspired speakers. But not only did they look like Barbies, they're actually made of Barbie as well. So we asked people to send in their broken Barbies and we'd make them a speaker from their broken Barbies. And we called it the childhood memory speaker. So essentially you could have a speaker that was made out of your own childhood memories. So you um, provided the people who have the speakers, provided it's their own Barbies. Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah. God, I could have sent you Jane. She wasn't a Barbie. <laughs> but I do remember that Jane had lovely long blonde hair when I was a little girl and I chopped it really short and spiky. And Jane's probably in my mum's cupboard somewhere along with all my other rubbish that's still up up north so i could have sent you jane i could have had a jane speaker because she was big enough probably for a whole speaker oh well yeah i mean if you ever want to send it through send it oh, thank you <laughs> if, it always feels a bit mean though and it's kind of got a story say, and you know it and then you have to crush it i'm not sure i could turn jane into a speaker but how many barbies would go into each one of these they're sort of oblong in shape aren't they it was a bit weird. So Barbies are actually, especially the older ones, they're made of a total mix of plastics. And because every year they release different models, it became a bit of a nightmare to work with them. So we'd have to cut up Barbies, take out the bones inside the Barbies oh, and dear. try and melt down those. <laughs> Our co-founder Kyle, was he's scared of dolls, so it, it didn't go down too well in the studio. I bet there were some incredible <laughs> scenes in your studio when that yeah, was happening. If, was really if anybody weird. had broken in, they'd probably been traumatised by, yeah. by the end of their burglary with 100%. bits of Barbies everywhere every speaker is unique but also i'm fascinated by what you power them with tell me about that so we work with lime we're kind of their main uk provider in turning their e-bike cells from their scooters from their bikes we take all the e-bike cells and then we basically turn them into battery packs to power our speakers so normally these cells if a bike gets chucked away or whatever these cells just have to go to recycling are taken apart into their raw materials or downcycled and they're made into something else but what we've tried to do is find a way to give these cells that don't need to go to be downcycled but actually give them a new use so we took all of these cells of like 5,000 cells maybe off the streets of london and then ran loads of tests on them and we found that 95 percent of these cells were actually perfectly fine so we could actually use these cells, put them into battery packs to power our speakers, which means that like, these speakers are powered by cells that would otherwise just have to be downcycled. So it's really nice to not only make the casing from waste, but also have it fully powered by a material that was deemed as waste as well. And there is a problem, isn't there, globally now, as we get more battery powered, about batteries becoming waste and what to do with them. Exactly. And I think there's always this guilt in like making consumer electronics, especially with lithium. And you hear about the cobalt mines and child labour, and it's really horrific what's going on. So if these batteries are already made, they're already in the UK, 
why not try and find a way to use them so that you don't have to go and make raw cells and mine them in these really horrible ways. I think it's much better to use what we've got around us and mine our local areas, not just mine raw materials. And presumably that means you've got a fairly endless supply of product. As the Waterhall lads said, the day they run out of ghost gear will be a day to celebrate. I mean, exactly, it, it, yeah. it is obviously it isn't going to happen, but there's so much waste, you're never going to run out of those raw materials. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when we first started out, I would go and knock on doors of shops, restaurants, warehouses, and just say, have, like, well, have you got any plastic waste that you don't need? And they would wheel it out on trolleys and I would just have to stuff my car and take it back to the studio. But there's honestly so much waste still. And even today, the council won't recycle these plastic bags. So there's millions and millions of bags every day all over the UK that just get chucked away. So if we can make a product that's so desirable, that people want it and then it cuts out that waste stream, that's a good thing. Just like the waterhole people said, like it would be a good thing if we didn't have any more waste to use, yeah. 100%. And where um, do you get your plastic bags then from generally? So it's kind of from a mixture of places, but we now try and work with two main recycling people in the UK who can clean it and turn it into pellets for us. And that means that we can really concentrate on just the design and the, the kind of making it into a speaker bit. Whereas before we had to do everything from like cleaning it to like ripping tape off to then melting it into like sheets that we could then press. So we tried to work on the bits that we're really good at and leave the other bits to experts. So that initial bit, we're trying to work with recyclers, but really there's not many people doing it at the moment in the UK. So ideally, like as we grow, hopefully inspire more people and then more people end up doing the recycling bit as well. It's funny because you're sort of the opposite to Waterhall in a way because their USP, I suppose, is the recycling and separating the polymers and making the nets into the plastic pellets that they can then use and then designers step in and design the sunglasses where, of course, you're the opposite way round. You are the designers. You were humble about the first speaker that you designed. <laughs> when you first held one of these and you really nailed the speaker to something that you really felt was a desirable item and something you could sell and people would want. How did it feel for you, Tom, to have that in your hands and turn it on for the first time? Yeah, it was a bit surreal to be honest. It was like five years development in the making. But year by year, we've always made these small changes. So we started off by doing Kickstarters. A Kickstarter was amazing for us because we could promote a kind of concept, make a prototype, and then you'd get orders from it, and then you'd make a version, and then you'd constantly improve that version. So we would launch an idea onto a platform and advertise it. And if people want to buy that idea, they'll pre-order it. And if you get enough pre-orders, then you can actually make it. So it's, it's really good for startups. It was great for us because it was a way to test ideas and see if people wanted to buy products made of waste before investing loads of time and money. Well, we didn't have any money. So it was like we needed the pre-orders to actually be able to make it. We did three Kickstarters all together for different products. And yeah, this is like the speaker that we've got. And we've just released a portable charger as well. But, um, ah, yeah. that's right. The, actually, I knew. Do you know, when you said portable charger, in my head, I was imagining a smaller speaker because I hope you're going to do a travel speaker or something. Have you, is that on the cards, do you think? It is on the cards, yeah, it is on the cards. It takes a lot of versions to get to what we want to. And at the moment, we're testing it and testing it. We've got a mission called Mission 99, which is we're going to try and make a very small speaker for under £99 retail. So that's in the making. But what we want to do is really have the time to build it publicly because there's going to be a lot of decisions we have to make if we're going to make something that's that cheap. And obviously it's a financial crisis, so I think people do want the cheaper products made as sustainably as they can be made. 
But I think if we're going to make something that cheap, there will have to be sacrifices. So what we wanted to do is make it publicly and get people on board and get people to design it with us and help us make those decisions and really find out what people want and don't want in a product. Because at the moment, the collection one speaker is all handcrafted in the UK. Every single detail is like as premium as it can be to kind of last as long and sound as good as it can be. So this will be launched in like a couple of months. Yeah, I'm I mean, not sure when this podcast is coming out. but uh, Soon. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> these are premium and for most people's pockets, they're fairly expensive, but they're the sort of item that you would buy treasure, particularly if it was made of your old Barbies. <laughs> they're like a piece of art, aren't they? The idea is that you would keep that for life and perhaps pass it on. Exactly. And also that don't you offer to repair for life as well? Yeah, so we've designed the speakers and the chargers to be repairable for life. So we don't use any glue in anything that we make. And that's quite different to most electronics products. You've probably had it when a phone breaks or when, I don't know, a portable charger breaks. It, you just have to throw it away. There's no way to repair that. So what we tried to do is, is build it all ourselves modularly. So it's just screws that you can take apart. If a bit breaks, we can either send you a component to fix it yourself or you can send it back to us and we'll fix it for you. So we've tried to build into this like anti-planned obsolescence that most electronics products seem to have right now. It's completely repairable for life. And yeah, that's something we're trying to launch across all of our products. What is your design philosophy? So I guess everything that we make, we're designing to be repairable for life. We're trying to use as much waste as we can in the product, but we're also trying to make it desirable so it doesn't need to feel like waste. So I think once we kind of pair up those three circles, so like repairability, desirability, and like made from waste, I think that's when we've kind of got a gomi product. We also, because the marbling is quite crazy and intense, we try and go back to the roots of like minimal Japanese design aesthetic. We don't want to have like the shapes too organic. We want to keep it really like quite boxy and quite simple because we're all about like that really minimal design, stripped back design. But then the contrast of then that against this really crazy art pattern we quite like. So, and yeah. are you a big fan of, I am, but are you a big <laughs> fan of Jackson Pollock? Because you mentioned yeah, him right at, yeah, the, yeah. right at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, 100%. I did an art foundation degree, which was amazing. So just exploring like all these different artists. Now I'm trying to bring that back into my work now as a designer, trying to use more of the art inspiration that I had. And what is modular design? Because that's something that you talk about quite a bit on your website. I feel like I'm on a a kind of steep design learning curve here, but I'm really interested about circular. Sorry, I should have explained No, it. no, no. So explain it for me. So modular design is when a product can be taken apart very easily, very simply. So if something did break, like a USB port, for example, on a laptop and you plug it into your laptop and it breaks, that's then very difficult to repair because you'd have to take it to a specialist or the company would likely not want to send you a replacement because it's too complex for you to take it apart. So what we're trying to do is kind of make it as if it was a child's product. How would you take it apart so easily that if that one little bit broke, you could repair it? And that way you don't need to waste all the material that's around that part as well. You can simply take that part out, hopefully recycle that part and then put a new part in and then you just keep the rest of the product without it having to go to waste. I think, Tom, plastic probably gets a bad name and... It gets a bad name because we think of single-use plastic. And when I was researching the stats for the introduction, I read somewhere that a plastic bag's lifespan is usually, on average, 12 minutes. But I think you see plastic differently. How do you see plastic? 
this is a bit controversial, but plastic is a pretty incredible material. It has such a low melting temperature that it uses such low energy to make products from it. So you can make a huge amount of products out of plastic in comparison to something like metal or even some of these new sustainable materials. They use a lot of energy to make them. Whereas our plastic, we melt it at 150 degrees. So just standard kitchen ovens, you can use, don't do that at home, but you can, <laughs> like, you can melt it at that temperature and then you can reform it, which means that you can do it with solar energy. So you don't need to have this, this crazy amount of energy. Like if you're making glass, for example, it's like a thousand degrees and to rework it as is only 150 degrees. And if it ever did break, you can very easily melt it down again and turn it into something else. So it's got this malleability to it which we really love. I think it's just not really a system in place for it. Like there was never this system in place that if your product did break, you couldn't send it somewhere to just be recycled back into it. And I think part of the problem with plastic is that there's so many different variations of plastic that becomes very hard to recycle it. And like you were saying, Waterhall, they've got a way to separate those polymers and recycle them. But I think the best solution with plastic would be if everyone just used one type of plastic, it would be so easy to recycle it. And I've seen some schemes now in like packaging and like laundry detergents, for example, only making them out of one color, one type of plastic. It would be so easy for councils to just then take all of that waste and recycle it. But unfortunately with marketing and branding, everyone wants different colors. Everyone wants crazy shapes. And that means that there's all these different types of plastics and colors out there that makes it really difficult. Tell me a bit about the phone chargers and how you came up with the idea of that being really the second major product that you've launched out of your studio. Yeah, after working with batteries and Lime, we've got a lot of these batteries and we wanted to find a use for them. And we found that actually these power bank products, they die after a year. Like it's so common for them just to break and die and you have to buy a new one and you have to buy a new one. And it's just everyone we spoke to were having the same issue basically. It's kind of quite a simple solution compared to making a speaker. Is it? We were like, we could just use the tech we've used and tweak it slightly and actually solve quite a big problem. So yeah, that's just been released and it's available to order for Christmas now for the next few days. And then it will be available in batch from February as well. But there's a pre-order for our website. But yeah, so it's all powered by repurposed waste batteries and all made in Brighton from plastic bags. That's fantastic. I think I read, because I've been doing some research on all of this, <laughs> that, well, there are a shocking number of electronics that are thrown away every year. 53 billion kilograms of electronics thrown away every year, only 20% recycled and most illegally burnt or landfilled. Yeah. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? It's crazy and it doesn't need to be like that. And I think what we're trying to do, we're such a a tiny brand and we know we can't have huge amounts of impact, but hopefully what we're doing will inspire more people to be like, oh, it is possible. And people do want that as a solution. So hopefully the more we make these products and the more people love them and shout about them, the more the bigger brands will start to change their ways as well. I think you'll inspire people all over the world by making beautiful products because let's face it, we're in a climate crisis, aren't we? And we're in a really difficult point now for the planet. And when you listen to those stats in the introduction about plastic and possibly by 2050 having more plastic in the ocean than fish, I would imagine 
companies all over the world could take inspiration from what you're doing. And also it gives you a great path to grow as well. If you can do this, crumbs, you've only just graduated, Tom. You're so young. What, mid-twenties? Yeah, mid-twenties, yeah. Yeah, then who knows what Gomi can become? I mean, are you pretty ambitious for where you can go with this? Yeah, I mean, we're doing collaborations with some quite big brands now. So what we're trying to do is work with these bigger brands like we're working with Paul Smith we're working with obviously Lime we've just done a collaboration with Story MFG like a fashion sustainable fashion brand so we're trying to work with bigger brands we're not trying to shut them out and do our own thing we think like if these bigger brands want to like work with and kind of think about products in more of a circular modular way then come and talk to us and, and we'll want to work with you we're definitely not trying to just like silo ourselves we want to work in the community like locally and nationally. I think that's where we'll have real impact the more people we work with. Tell me what you're doing with the designer Paul Smith because where that brings music to my ears is I've loved Paul Smith for decades and he's certainly not at the beginning of his career. He's been established for many, many years very cool, doing lots of different things in the clothing industry way before his time. But it's nice to see that you're obviously a young company and that you're designing with somebody as established as Paul Smith. Yeah, so it was actually, I think it was last year, but we launched a whole range of wireless chargers with them. Yeah, we designed this kind of custom colour with them and then launched it in all their stores around the UK. So it was our alternative. It was kind of playing on the new Apple charger that came out and we wanted to just kind of jokingly provide a bit more of a sustainable solution. I mean, it was very small scale, but came up with this really wild coloured wireless charger that was like aluminium on the back and plastic on the front. And if it broke, it could be taken apart and fixed. And so we launched that a couple of years ago. And now we're working with more brands. We're just about to do something with BrewDog. Um, how are you? What are you going to do with BrewDog? I'm not sure how much I can say about it. But, <laughs> but um, Give us a top line that doesn't get you into trouble, if there's a top line that won't get you into trouble. So... Yeah, basically started that process with looking at their bars, looking at local pubs, went around to all local pubs around Brighton and just kind of asked them what waste they had. And then we found this waste stream and so yeah, working with BrewDog on, on something to do with that, basically. Ah, so watch this space. Paul Smith also, it seems a very good fit for you because Paul Smith's always really embraced colour and whether that be in the linings of jackets. There's always been a bit of a mystery with Paul Smith. You might buy a navy suit. But the lining's really beautiful colours. Yeah, really bright inside. Really bright inside. I I could see that working really, really well. Your studio, describe the studio, because I would imagine it's just a hive of activity all the time. Um, Yeah, it's it's pretty messy at the moment. Is it? Boxes (laughs) of Barbies and different waste streams everywhere piled on top of each other but we've built inspired by the art world what we called the white cube and we've basically raised this production unit off the ground so we've got all the heating and cooling mechanics underneath it and then we've got this white box where essentially we've got a big I think it's like a 60 ton press and then a 20 ton press next to it and by press this is the thing that we heat up and then we compress the plastic in and then we cool it down and we open it up so our co-founder Kyle He's an amazing engineer. This is his masterpiece. He's designed it and tweaked it over years. And that's really how we get the surface finish on our products. It doesn't really look like or feel like waste. It's all just tweaking this machine and that we've built all custom. So nothing off the shelf, but it's taken a long time to get to that. But yes, we've got the white cube and then we've got kind of a big open working space where it's either a space where we design in or it's a space where we pack orders or it's a bit of everywhere a bit of stuff everywhere at the moment is there a lot of drawing and all that kind of thing going on as yeah, well you're quite traditional on that front yeah sketches and yeah collages and all that fun stuff and but. inspiration can come from anywhere can't it yeah for me like i grew up in a tiny village and I think going from there and studying art there and then moving to Brighton opened my mind massively on like 
they've just been a, a university full of creative people which is so inspiring being around them and now we work with a, a co-working space called plus x as well and they have like a big open workshop with all machines and there's a lot of creative people in there so we're trying to always surround ourselves in, in these creative communities and collaborate with local creative people and really trying to like immerse ourselves in that scene because brighton is a super creative place to be so we just want to work with as many people as we can basically and how troubled are you tom by this throwaway culture that we seem to have found ourselves in i would imagine you've grown up in a world that's much more aware probably more like my children have than i certainly did just being at school you just get bombarded with this fear can't i remember watching these videos i think it was like a thursday afternoon you go to the class and they play a video and it was like you're all gonna die if you don't do something about it and you were like really i'm like 10 years old and you're telling me this like this is so scary but i think now our generation now we've at this kind of age where we're starting to have more of a say in how things are made or or just our jobs, like how we create things. We're using that fear, essentially. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. But do you think millennials and Gen Ys are a lot more aware? Because my kids, who are a bit, little bit more grown up now, will happily tell me over the tea table that, you know, it's my fault that we're in this mess. And obviously <laughs> it's not my fault. But whereas they've grown up as digital natives, as you have, I think you've grown up very differently to me because we certainly, we didn't know the dangers of single-use plastic and the throwaway culture when I was growing up. So do you think that's ingrained in you more through school and then through university, etc., and yeah. wanting then to make a difference? Yeah, definitely. I think with Instagram as well, you are seeing everything everywhere all the time. So if there's a negative news stories on plastic bags or if there's something that happens, you'll see it. Whereas I think in the past that had to go through a newsroom and, or a newspaper to talk about it. But now you don't have that barrier. So you're just going to see everything. And especially if you start looking at sustainable design or like environmental problems, the algorithm will feed you more, right? So you'll just constantly see more and more of this stuff. So I think like our generation, we just are maybe like getting a lot more information just constantly through scrolling. Yeah, so. maybe as well. Maybe that's how I've found you because I got slightly obsessed with my fantastic sustainable toothbrush, nice. which is made out of all recycled plastic and is the best toothbrush, electric toothbrush I've ever had and is probably the only toothbrush I'll ever need. And I've bought them as gifts for people. Oh, so wow. maybe that algorithm threw up Waterhall and then go me and maybe yeah, that's what's nice. happening on my Instagram. What about feedback? from your customers what sort of feedback do you get when you send the speakers out and the phone charges too i think people are really happy that obviously everyone's unique and i think people feel good about the fact that it's made out of better materials like they are expensive so we've really had to put a lot of time and effort into making sure that okay not only do they look good but they actually need to sound good as well because it's the worst thing for sustainable design if it's it's got a high price tag and then it doesn't perform very well that's like such a cliche of sustainable design products and we really wanted to avoid that so we spent a long time probably about a year trying to tweak the sound quality before we launched it to make sure it was as good as it could be and because they're made in the uk it costs more to make them so we were like okay it cost probably an extra 20 pounds to really make it sound incredible, it's probably worth it at that kind of price point that it's at. So that's why we've yeah really put a lot of effort into the quality of it as well. Who helped you sound-wise make sure that it was as, as good as it possibly could be? So we've been working with some 
yeah, just like freelance audio engineers who've worked for like the bigger brands for like 20 years plus. Um, it's probably not going to say which brands, but freelance audio engineers who love our mission and what we're trying to achieve. So they want to help us and want to get on board. And we've got a real mix of skills between all of us, but we didn't really have anyone core who was like fully audio. So we thought it was really important to get those audio people on board and work with us on these. So at home, when you're playing your Gomi speaker, what colourway do you play? I really like the Barbie ones. I think they're, <laughs> yeah, I've got a Barbie one at the moment. And yeah, the Panther probably. I like the Panther one. Oh, so you haven't done Action Man ones yet? Not yet. Maybe one month. Yeah, hey, maybe Leo, we should there's do that. An, there's an idea there for yeah. you. You can have that idea with pleasure. When the Action Man movie comes out, we'll do it. Exactly. That's a good idea. We've been ending all our podcasts, Tom, by asking this season what the biggest risk is you've ever taken in your life, basically. And so in your young life, what's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Probably quitting my full-time job to just jump straight into this. I was working like mornings, lunchtimes, evenings, weekends, not really taking any money from Gomi. And then got to a point where we got one project from, I think it was Desperados, a drinks brand. And they wanted to order 100 speakers. And I was like, oh, I could probably fit that in around all my, just not have a social life for two years. But then we got another project come through for Berlin Commercial Film Festival, a fashion film festival in Berlin. And they wanted 60 trophies as well. And I was like, I don't have time to do my job anymore. It's impossible to make all these projects. So I just had to take a big leap of faith. And it wasn't huge amounts of money at all at the time. I just tried to live as cheaply as I could. Yeah, that was pretty scary. But I think in your 20s, you can take these risks. And I knew I could probably, not knew, but I thought I could probably try and scrape a job back somewhere if it didn't work out. So yeah, it was a big leap of faith, but yeah, I think it was worth it. And I'm guessing that you're happy in what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I really, really love what we're doing. It can be very stressful. <laughs> it's such a challenge and we're just trying to do everything from scratch. So like normally if you're making a speaker, you would just go to a factory and just buy all the components. But where we've had to use a material that isn't injection molded, we've had to invent a molding process to mold it. We're not using off-the-shelf batteries, so we've had to invent a process to make battery packs. And then obviously we can't glue it together, so we've had to design it modularly. It's like all these things makes it so challenging and it, it can be really stressful, but yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's like, it is really fun having a challenge like this. Well, I'm glad I've given you a 40 minute break to record the <laughs> podcast. Um, it's great to meet you, see the studio in action and hear about the mission. And it really is wonderful to see making things that people can treasure and use for a lifetime out of what some people would see as waste. So uh, I wish you the best of luck with it. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to just watching your journey and seeing what comes next actually it's exciting isn't it yeah thanks for having me yeah really good to be on it so thank you you're very welcome you've been listening to tom mead's story of how and why he co-founded gomi making one-off speakers and phone chargers out of waste materials like plastic bags bubble wrap barbie dolls uh do check them out uh the website is i'm gonna have to ask you that on the website is it's tom gomi.design so g-o-m-i dot design gomi.design download and subscribe to our series at convex .podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple and Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. I'll be back next week with another inspirational guest. Join me then. Mm -hmm.